0: Hello and welcome back to Commodity Conversations by the team at Mercado, the podcast where we aim to keep you up to date with the latest trends, drivers and moves in livestock, grain and oilseed and fibre markets. I'm Olivia Agar. Welcome listeners and welcome back, Robert Herman.
1: Thanks, Olivia. Nice to talk to you.
0: All right, Rob. Well, we've just released our latest quarterly market insights report. It's hot off the press and covering the trends and movements in commodity markets over the April to June 2022 quarter as well as the outlook. So we'll get straight into the key stories and insights from the report that our listeners should know. And I'll start out with grains and oilseed. So the big story, of course, has been the Ukraine war, but the market's now turned its attention to the approaching Northern Hemisphere harvest and all that offer of fresh supplies. So there's been a big fall in grain and oilseed future prices from the record highs of early April back to pre-war levels in many cases. But the main point to keep in mind, particularly for wheat, is that available stocks of wheat in major exporting countries is very low. And so any weather or supply concerns is driving a lot of extreme volatility in global markets. But one of the big questions hanging over export demands is that cost of inflation and what the impact of a potential global recession could be. So while food demand is relatively inelastic, the International Grains Council are estimating that all these high prices will cause a degree of demand destruction in those sub-Sahara regions. But for oil seeds, demands for industrial use may also take a hit. But then turning locally, the CSIRO released their latest wheatcast outlook and have forecast another above average season. So that's based on things like plant available water indexes, timing of sowing and historical data, and their models are indicating an average yield of 2.55 tonnes per hectare for wheat in comparison to the long-term average of 1.8 tonnes per hectare. So coming into that, we have the outlook for WA is for a drier than average winter spring period, which will put a huge importance on the timing of rain. So the current crop conditions there are excellent. We had a really good early start that gave way to good early growth and excellent yield potential. However, we do know that with a crop like that, we need big finishing rains at the right time. And the other area of concern is New South Wales where there are reports of waterlogging on about 10 to 15% of the state with a lot of reseeding and even abandonment of the winter crop taking place. But all in all, Rob, the bullish fundamentals are still there for historically strong pricing for new crop harvest, but there is an amount of carryover grain from last season and another above average harvest is likely to add a bit of pressure to supply chains again.
1: Yeah, great summary, Liv. And uh, as you said, um, there's, there's a lot more detail in the quarterly report. Um, just moving on to cattle, uh, and and we note that uh, it's most likely that we're now over that um, that peak that we've seen. Uh, it, it, in fact, early in the season, so in coming out of uh, last year and into January, February, yeah, people were a bit optimistic that perhaps we had a bit longer to run of this peak and, and the market stayed strong, but in fact... Uh, For the last quarter, the Eastern Young Cattle indicator uh, averaged 2.4% below where it was the previous quarter. And we know that in the last few weeks, the market has come well under uh, a 1,000 cents, so under $10 a kilogram. And and I think the major um, point there is that there is some uncertainty, as we know, there's uncertainty in all markets at the moment, but there's some uncertainty in, in the beef market. And also we're probably seeing, Liv, that we're getting towards the end of that strong restocker demand. So supply is starting to build um, in terms of what normally comes through uh, at this time of the year. And then the demand is a little bit sluggish. Um, we've also had the 90 CL price fall on weakening US demand. And of course, there as, as we noted a couple of times in Mercado, they're in a, a de-stocking phase. So they've got high domestic slaughter and that's impacting on the demand. The other factor, I suppose, is the, um, and we can't ignore this with, especially with um, red meat, is the um, biosecurity concerns. Um, We haven't talked a lot about that in this. in this report, but it's certainly weighing on the confidence of the market. I do note, uh, and I love the uh, the quarterly report has a, um, a segment for each commodity live called the side dish. There's a very interesting side dish for the cattle market here, and it's where um, I think Adrian did this research, where we look at fetal calf blood prices, and um, they're, they're an indicator. I mean, they're very, very strong at the moment, uh, 50% increase in calf blood prices since 2020. It's indicative that the female cattle supply is tightening. So, uh, is, is still tight, I should say. So that says that we're, we're still not um, slaughtering a hell of a lot of females, but the demand for that fe- um, fetal blood is strong. And so, overall, we're probably seeing a a, a slightly bearish outlook for the um, for beef cattle and. Um, I know that uh, farmers are going to be concerned about that. But, of course, we must remember we're coming off what have been traditionally really high levels. So in terms of beef, Liv, um, again, um, a bit of uncertainty and, and, of course, some constraints through processing. But uh, um, overall, we're still in a pretty good position.
0: Yeah, certainly a bit of a change in sentiment from what we're used to. But um, overall, as you said, uh, still in a strong position and strong outlook for beef. But I'll switch over to sheep and lamb now. And there's been a number of factors that have been affecting lamb and sheep markets. So for start, the cold and wet conditions, particularly in New South Wales, have impacted animal health and the quality of the stock that's been hitting the markets been generally poorer than what we'd usually like. And then, of course, supply has been the other factor. And, and we know that Australian supply of lambs accounts for around 70% of the fluctuations that we see in price. And this season, it's the skilled labour shortage in meat works that really seen a flattening out of the seasonal kill profile. So what we mean by that is usually we'd see a lot of peaks and troughs in processing throughout the season. And that just hasn't been as prevalent uh, over this season and the weekly slaughter rates have been more consistent uh, than what we usually see historically and, and there are reports that New Zealand have been seeing the same thing occur as well. So what's, what's that done Has it's dragged out the supply of old season lambs born last year and we've seen those continue to come through to market through autumn and winter as well as we've been seeing more crossbred lambs on the market as well. And unfortunately, that's meant that the usual rally in prices that we see over winter, it just hasn't shown up yet. But as we keep saying, these are all really local issues. Uh, yes, we're seeing increasing supply from Australia, expected over the next few years. But when you look at the big picture fundamentals for sheep meat, like you know, Australia's diverse c- customer base. It's proved really resilient in times of disruptions. So traditionally smaller customers like PNG, Japan, and South Korea, they've been taking a greater share of Australian uh, lamb products and, and sheep meat products in larger volumes as well. And we've seen some customers expand in the US. And then there's opportunities in new markets, like through the signing of the, the recent India and UK trade deals, which are. Are really positive things for the outlook. So while we've got slowdowns in economic growth around the world, uh, that is a headwind in the short to medium term, but that diverse customer base should really help support demand.
1: Yes, exactly. And, and a good summary, Liv, um, you know, the tighter global supply under, underpins, you know, what we think is a, is a pretty good outlook. However, there are you know, short-term issues that are going to impact. And we know that the processing capacity of, uh, uh, of Australian processes, Australian abattoirs, is limiting the amount of throughput. Uh, That said, we're in that funny period, Liv, where you've got still old season lambs uh, coming through and and there's more than we would usually expect to see at this time of the year. At the same time, we've got um, new season lambs coming through in certain areas. However, as you point out, in other areas, they haven't done as well. So we're going to talk a bit more about that um, on Mikado in the next week or two. I just wanted to um, um, round across to Wool and... It's it's a really interesting situation. The, um, the fine merino wool prices had a great quarter, and they were aided by the weaker Australian dollar. Uh, that continued demand for fine wool is probably being, is probably a reflection of the world understanding more and more of the value of that fine wool product and we've got to remember in australia live that while we talk about in australia we talk about our super fine wool etc the rest most of the world considers our merino wool to be fine wool and not just fine in terms of micron but fine in terms of quality and the way we present it so it's it finds good demand um we can't Talk about wool anymore without talking about the crossbred wool. Uh, crossbred wool continues to really struggle in terms of price. Um, what's interesting, though, is that in the June quarter, sales of um, of crossbred wool uh, were the highest since for this time of the year since 2012, and the second highest June quarter sales since mid 1990s. Now. That's that's a strange thing to happen when prices are so depressed, and and I like Andrew Woods's comment there, where he in the quarterly report he says whatever is going on in the crossbred market, supply is being cleared out of Australia. So that's, it's interesting that we it's very difficult to figure out why crossbred wool was plummeted to the to the price levels it has, um, but if we're not building big stocks, then you know perhaps it's clearing the way for some sort of price recovery. Um, the other um, the other factor, I suppose, is that we've got high levels of um, vegetable matter and fault um, in the eastern clip. That's helped make a difference for the uh, for the quality wools. And we continue to see AWEX reports um, comment that um, the, the the market either improved with the with the low VM good quality wool's improving by more, or if it declined on the day, the comment is that those better wool's were least affected. So we can we can see that the um, the trade is looking for those quality wools. Speaking of quality, the other factor that we that has come to light in the last year or so is the demand for quality assured wool. So that's wool that has a um, has a quality assurance program attached to it. Uh, there's a number of programs in Australia. There's the Responsible Wool Sourcing, the Sustainable Wool, There's Authentico are the major ones. Um, what What's really positive is that. Regardless of the quality of the wool, that is the uh, micron and and VM, uh, or whether they're piece skirtings or or fleece wool, or whether they're crossbred merino, these programs are demonstrating a premium for wools that meet their quality assurance um, programs. So that's giving farmers something to focus on, and something that we'll I think we'll talk about a lot more in the future. So, Liv, following on from wool, it's worth mentioning um, cotton in Australia, and cotton produced in Australia are going through a purple patch, really. The, the US cotton index price is, um, you know, almost double the five-year average, and so too is the Australian dollars per kilogram price is almost double the five-year average. And, um, and this is at a time when... Abares is forecasting Australian producers um, to produce another near record crop at 1.2 million tonnes. So that's going to be another factor in regional Australia live where uh, those producers who are in the cotton belt um, are going to uh, have a big crop and that's on the back of plenty of water. But at the same time, we've got really good prices. So um, it's always good to uh, finish on a good story, but um, I, I compliment the, uh, the people who have contributed to the quarterly report, and we do bring in a number of, um, a number of reporters on this. Uh, it's a great report, and, uh, and I hope uh, we've given you a pretty good summary of it today.
0: Yeah, thanks very much, Rob. Thanks for coming on to talk us through the key insights from the quarterly report. To our listeners, if you haven't got a hand on a copy yet and looking for more in-depth detail and rating, the link is in the show notes. Thanks, Rob, and we'll see you next time.
1: Good on you, Liv. Thank you.
0: Thanks for tuning into another episode of Commodity Conversations. If you enjoyed the podcast, please share it around to your network and also leave a review or rating on your podcast platform of choice.